0: Since uh, today is Palm Sunday, I thought we should uh, leave Moses for a little bit and focus on the Lord uh, for these next couple of weeks. And uh, as you well know, Palm Sunday begins the week that uh, leads Jesus all the way to the cross and uh, beyond that to Easter Sunday and the resurrection. I want to suggest to you this morning as you uh, think with me together from the scriptures that the biblical account of Palm Sunday, uh, seems almost to be bipolar. Seems almost to have two entirely different pictures going on at the same time. Um, In Matthew chapter 21, uh, we read about the triumphal entry of Jesus, you know, on the back of a donkey. And in uh, verses 8 to 10, in uh, chapter 21, Here's what the Bible says, Uh, most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road and the crowds went before him uh, and that followed him were shouting Hosanna to the son of David. David was Israel's most popular king and uh, you know the promise was made to David that someday there would be a king like him in Israel and uh, the followers of Jesus thought that this was going to be the time that that was going to happen. Um, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. The word Hosanna simply means save now or rescue now. Save now. Hosanna. Uh, Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. It's like a political rally. This is like uh, something, uh, probably the closest thing you could get in the New Testament to a red carpet treatment for the Lord coming into Jerusalem, right? Uh, the people are laying their clothes down. Uh, Jesus is riding on a donkey, which was prophesied by Zechariah, and um People are shouting, you know, it's kind of like a parade, it's like a party atmosphere. Jesus is coming, and those of his followers, you know, uh, were saying, you know, that he's going to become king, he's going to overthrow the Romans, uh, and he's going to bring peace to our lives. He's going to bring peace to our lives. It's uh, Passover time, and so most of the commentators say up to a million people were probably in Jerusalem. So, man, if you're going to overthrow the Romans, this would be the time to do it. We've got the manpower here, and, uh, you know, everybody's excited, and it's just like, I liken it to like a political rally, okay? However, in, um, well, in in Luke 19, in Luke's account of the same uh, event, in Luke chapter 19 and verses 37 and 38, we read sort of similar things, Uh, as he was drawing near, Already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the king, the king, who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd, you know, uh, teacher, rebuke your disciples. He said, I tell you, you know, if these disciples keep quiet, uh, the rocks are going to cry out, okay? Okay. And so similar kind of uh, event, uh, similar event, uh, similar description as uh, Luke describes it and uh, calls him the king and so forth. But I want to suggest to you that the people are thinking on a purely uh, human level. And so on the one hand, you know, the people are thinking, you know, this is it, right? But look at Jesus, next verse, verse 41. And when he drew near... And saw the city, he wept. He wept. Tears are coming down his face. What's going on? Here's all the people. They're all excited. And here's Jesus, and he's crying. He looks at the city. He looks at what's happening. He looks at the people. And tears are running down his cheeks because perhaps he saw the superficial nature of what uh, people were thinking when they thought on a purely human level. Perhaps he knew that the same crowd that was shouting Hosanna on Palm Sunday would be shouting crucify him, crucify him on Good Friday. Perhaps Jesus could see uh, that uh, people were missing the event. And and, and look what he says. It says "When, when he drew near and he saw the city, he started to cry, he wept over it, and then he said this. Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. Oh, if my people only understood what makes for peace. And Jesus knows what makes for peace. But, of course, the people thought that you could achieve peace in our lives through political means and so forth. But I would suggest to you that uh, peace, real peace, starts in our lives when we have peace with God. And until we have peace with God, we'll never find the peace that God meant for us to live with uh, here in this life. And so Jesus says, "Oh, if only you people understood what makes for real peace in people's lives." And in John uh, 14, Jesus put it like this. And 27th verse, he said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world do I give it to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. The peace that God gives to us is different than any kind of peace the world could offer. It's a peace that starts on the inside and works its way out. It doesn't start with outside circumstances and work its way into us to give us peace, but it starts on the inside. It starts in a relationship with God. God's peace is so different from the world's peace, and God's peace is more powerful uh, than our circumstances, right? Um, 1 John 4, you know, uh, the Bible says, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Satan is called the small g, God, of this world. Greater is he that's in you, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. There is a kind of peace that God gives us that's different from the world's peace and God's peace actually goes beyond our understanding. It's more powerful than our reason and it's more lasting. It becomes a lifestyle. It doesn't come and go. Uh, It runs deep and it works from the inside out. And God's peace is available to anyone. God's peace is available to anyone who will trust him to give it to us. It's not for a certain personality type. It's not for a certain economic bracket. If only you knew, Jesus says on Palm Sunday, if only you knew the things that make for peace. And here's all the people thinking that we're finally going to get peace and we're going to bring it about uh, politically and so forth. The peace that God gives is so different. It's not political, it's spiritual. God has a plan, and his plan includes every single one of us, right? And his plan was announced to Abraham thousands of years ago when God said, through you, I'm going to bless all the families, all the ethne, all the ethnicities of the world, all the families of the earth. That's God's plan. He wants to bless people. He wants them to live abundantly. And so, All that to say, you know, the people are in one place on Palm Sunday and Jesus is in another place. It's almost, if you will, bipolar. So I wonder if Palm Sunday in 2023 is a whole lot different. I wonder if people aren't still wishing that, you know, somehow I could use Jesus to accomplish what I want in this life and in this world. I wonder if people aren't trying to figure out how I can use Jesus to politically advance my cause. And I wonder if Jesus isn't still shedding a tear over the condition of people's hearts in the world today. Oh, if only you knew the things that make for peace. If only you understood that I came into the world to make peace between God and you. If only you understood the things that make for real peace. So one of the names that's ascribed to Jesus is man of sorrows. Man of sorrows. You might remember this. It was a very painful, uh, I want to suggest to you, for Jesus to accomplish his part of God's plan uh, through this week. Uh, sorrow, the word sorrow, is, uh, just means sadness because of loss. Sadness because of loss or anguish even because of loss. That's what it is to be sorrow, and and Jesus was a man of sorrows. He's described that way by uh, his father in heaven, Uh, and I think Jesus had many things to be sorrowful over. Uh, You might remember, of course, that he was rejected. Um, He was rejected by uh, John, chapter one and verse eleven says he came to his own, and his own received him not. He was Jewish. And he came to his own people and his own nation, ended up rejecting him uh, by the end of the week. Sorrow. All along, he had the frustration of being misunderstood. How many times did Jesus say, are you so dull that you don't understand what's going on here? You don't understand who I am and and so forth. And he had the uh, sadness of people not understanding him or him being misunderstood He had the hard-heartedness of the pharisaical leaders who argued with him throughout his entire ministry, always trying to figure out a way to get rid of him. He came to his own, and his own received him not. He goes to the temple, and it had become a business, and so he overturns the tables. Next morning, he's hungry, and he goes to the fig tree cafe uh, for breakfast, and there's no figs on the tree. May you never bear fruit again, he says, and the tree instantly withers. It's a symbol of Israel and its barrenness and uh, its failure to produce what God had built into it to produce. And uh, it's a symbol of that. You might remember that, you know, in 70 AD, the Romans came, destroyed the place. The Israelites got dispersed all over the world in 70 AD, never came back together again to be a nation until 1948, 75 years ago. I think what happened in 1948 was a miracle of biblical proportions you know, and uh, prophesied in the scriptures. The people are gathering together and there's uh, much more to come according to the scriptures. But Jesus, a man of sorrow. Then there's uh, Judas. You ever been betrayed by a friend? That really hurts, doesn't it? Sorrow, sadness. Judas betrays Jesus, one of of the 12, right, Uh, for money. And he does it with a kiss. Man of sorrows, Judas. And uh, not only uh, Judas, but then there's uh, Peter, his closest friend probably on earth, uh, three times. No, I, I don't know him. <laughs> I don't know him at all. He's not my friend. Three times. Judas, uh, uh, Peter, denies knowing Jesus. And then there's uh, you know, the rest of the disciples who all abandon him. There's the trials that embarrass him. There's the beatdowns, the crown of thorns, the robe that mock him. And for the first time in all of eternity, the father is going to turn his back on his son. Think about that. For the first time in all of eternity, the father is going to turn his back on his son. Why? Why? All of this sorrow. While the scriptures go on to say it's because God made Jesus into our sin. God made Jesus into our, God took our sins, put it on him, and allowed him to pay the penalty for what we owe God, which would be our life. Uh, Because God hates sin, because God is three times holy, because God, you know, rejects sin and can't be in its presence and so forth. And uh, I wonder if you can, you know, kind of identify with Jesus here in living your life. Uh, Sometimes when the world is celebrating and there's a parade and they're all excited and there's political victory or something or some new prospect for a better life, is supposed, and uh, you see through it all, the world kind of misunderstands Jesus and why he came and what he was all about. And uh, we see through the misguided celebration and the shallowness and the misunderstanding of Scripture, and we know what it is to miss your opportunity to make things right between you and God, to pass through life and never take advantage of what Jesus came to offer and so forth. And so this name, Man of Sorrows, is found uh, in the Old Testament uh, book of uh, Isaiah. And uh, in Isaiah... um, In Isaiah, it's different, than, um, it's different than the Gospels. The Gospels' treatment of Palm Sunday and uh, Passion Week is uh, by observation. It's by human beings. Isaiah 53 is probably um, uh, 700 to 725 years before Jesus is born, and it's God revealing what's going to happen during that Passion Week. And so when we read the Gospels, we kind of get the observation from people's point of view as to what was going on. But when we turn to Isaiah uh, chapter 53, where God calls Jesus a man of sorrows, uh, we get a perspective from God who's looking down and looking forward. It's a prophesying uh, piece of scripture, and uh, this is where we find this uh, name, the man of uh, sorrows, and he's predicting what's going to happen hundreds of years before it happens, In uh, chapter 52, uh, right at the end, um, let me just read for you. uh, This, I think, is some of the most sacred scripture uh, that you can find. Um, And the end of 52 talks about how Israel responded to Jesus coming. Uh, Many were astonished at you. His appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind Uh, so shall he sprinkle or uh, uh, startle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him, Uh, for that which has not been told them they see, and that which they have not heard they understand. Who has believed what they heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And then we read the next section here in in chapter 53 uh, where the Lord reveals that Jesus is going to die in our place, okay? For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has born our griefs and carried our sorrows yet we esteemed him stricken and smitten by god and afflicted but he was wounded for our transgressions he was crushed for our iniquities upon him the chastisement uh, that brought us peace and with his stripes we are healed all we like sheep have gone astray we've turned every one to his own way and the lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb who's being led to slaughter, like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. He died in our place for our sins. He shed his blood, right? And then the last uh, section of this talks about the fact that God is going to extend his days or resurrect him and that he will be satisfied because his sacrifice will actually suffice and many people will come to be saved and reconciled and redeemed uh, to our father. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for sin, He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days, resurrection. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. What a gift. What a gift God has given us in Jesus uh, the Gospels, again, they look at Palm Sunday from a human point of view and observations. This is God saying what's actually going on this week on our behalf with Jesus on the cross. And, uh, you know, this is so accurate and it's so obviously about Jesus that many Jewish Bibles, which is basically our Old Testament, do not print Isaiah 53 in their Bibles. Uh, it is so Accurate and so obviously about Jesus uh, that lots of uh, services in synagogues avoid uh, Isaiah chapter 53. And if we want to know what's happening from God's perspective, what's going on in Jesus' heart, we turn to this passage in the Old Testament and we gain some insight and some sensitivity. And here we read that Jesus was a man of sorrows, sadness, acquainted with grief, frustrated. Uh, The grief that Jesus, uh, the sorrows that Jesus experienced during his uh, lifetime, and especially during Passion Week, uh, seemed to come uh, to a um, uh, kind of a uh, conclusion or kind of a crescendo, if you will, in the Garden of Gethsemane in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 36. You remember where Jesus asked his disciples to go and pray with him, and Jesus went to a place. Uh, verse 36 called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and uh, James and John, he began to be sorrowful, sorrowful, and troubled. And then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful. I'm very sad, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and he prayed. And you know this prayer. My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. And we read in Isaiah 53, it, it, Jesus knew what the will of the Father was. It was the will of the Father to crush him in our place so that he could turn to us and never have to crush us. And Jesus knew what the will of the Father was. Um, let this cup Pass from me. The word uh, "cup" is uh, uh, often used as a symbol or uh, a way of expressing God's anger, God's wrath. Um, for example, and uh, just quickly, Jeremiah chapter 25. Thus the Lord God of Israel said to me, "Said to Jeremiah, Take from my hand this cup of the wine of wrath, and make all nations to whom I send you drink it." They shall drink and stagger and be crazed because of the sword that I am sending among them. The cup was always uh, an expression of God's wrath or God's judgment uh, on people. And so Jesus prays for this cup, this uh, man of sorrows who knows he's about to uh, become the sins of the whole world. 2 Corinthians 5.21 Jesus says if there's some way that we could not, it's not like Jesus is a masochist, you know, and he's just waiting to die and can't wait for, you know, uh, to be crucified in this way. Not at all. If there was some other way, if there was some other way to be reconciled with God, if there was just some other way where we could all be good enough to make it with God, if God could just, you know, kind of look the other way and compromise his holiness, if there was some other way, and Jesus says nevertheless I know there's no other way and this is the way that you've ordained since the beginning of time and yet Jesus says you know nevertheless not my will but yours be done and so he goes to the cross he knows it's God's will uh, that he bear the sins of the whole world and so Jesus this man of sorrows the only perfect man to ever live Uh, the one who was the promised Messiah to the uh, Jewish people, God's treasured possession, uh, comes to his own and his own receive him not. And it fills him with sorrow. And the people uh, refused to acknowledge their true condition and their need for a savior. Um, They refused to acknowledge the new covenant that God had revealed through his prophets in the Old Testament. And uh, in Matthew's gospel, uh, Jesus' response after Palm Sunday in in, uh, Matthew chapter 23 and verse 37 and 38, uh, again, here's Jesus talking after Palm Sunday. Uh, "'O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets "'and stones those who are sent to it, "'how often I would have gathered your children together "'like a hen gathers uh, her brood under her wings.'" But you would not, you would not see your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Bad news is the people wouldn't deal with Jesus in the way that he came to deal with them. Good news is he's coming back. Good news is there's a second chance. Good news is there's a second uh, coming of Jesus, right? And Jesus says, you're not going to see me again until you're ready to say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. There's going to be a, um, a second coming of Jesus into the city of Jerusalem. Uh, Ezekiel 44 says that Jesus will come through the eastern gate, the eastern gate of uh, Jerusalem's opposite the Mount of Olives, and it's all boarded up right now. It's all c- cemented. There is no gate there. And uh, yet the Bible says that when Jesus comes, he's going to come back to the Mount of Olives where he left from, and he's going to walk across the Kidron Valley and up the hill to that gate, and that gate is going to collapse. I think maybe Psalm 24 talks about that, and uh, Jesus is going to enter the city again. There's going to be a second Palm Sunday, if you will, only this time it's going to be different. And uh, here's what the Bible says is going to happen this time when Jesus comes back to the Jewish people. Zechariah uh, chapter 12. And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace. Remember the Bible says Moses, you know, the law came by Moses, grace and truth come by Jesus. The law comes by Moses, grace and truth comes by Jesus. I will pour out a spirit of grace and please for mercy so that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. On that day, the mourning in Jerusalem will be as great as the mourning for Hadad Ramon in the plain of Megiddo. The land shall mourn each family by itself, the family of the house of David by itself and the wives of themselves On that day, there shall be a fountain opened up for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse from sin and uncleanness. The Lord is coming back. And when he does, all of Israel, the remnant of Israel, will recognize him for who he is. They will recognize that it's the one that they pierced. They will mourn. They will repent. uh, They will be saved by the grace of God. And uh, they will be restored. It'll be a great day. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. What a great uh, day to look forward to. And uh, uh, um, if you want to learn a little bit more about why this happened and how uh, how a lot of this happened, for us and each one of us individually and together collectively. Romans chapter 11, the apostle Paul says, listen, Israel fell so that we could be included in the grace and the blessings of God. Israel missed its opportunity. Israel was hardened, just like God hardened Pharaoh's heart so that all people could come the same way through the blood of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, you, uh, Romans chapter 11 Uh, be a great uh, Sunday afternoon read uh, about this subject. Well, you know, uh, God wanted to make sure we'd never forget what he did for us. And so we have the opportunity to come uh, together around the Lord's table this morning. And uh, it's uh, it's a great time to just pause and to think about the wisdom of God At the end of uh, Romans chapter 11, the Apostle Paul is just blown away by the wisdom of God. And he's got like a doxology there that's just so rich in what God has done for each and every one of us. And uh, how the Jewish people have played a part uh, in all that God has uh, done. And so uh, we have the opportunity, you know, God says, look, never forget, never forget what I've done for you. And uh, the more we remember, the more we'll appreciate, the deeper our worship will be and uh, our love for him and for what he did for us. So Paul wrote to the uh, Corinthian church, he said, I receive from the Lord that which I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after that last supper, Jesus said, this is the new covenant, the new covenant in my blood. Do it as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Gracious Heavenly Father, we will never... uh, Fully appreciate what the God of the universe did in accomplishing our salvation. What a great salvation. Totally free, a gift of your grace, all by grace, through the blood of your only begotten Son. And how we thank you this morning, Father, and I pray that you would bring home to us just how much you love us. That you would go to this length. So that we could be with you for eternity in a place called heaven. Which will be a far greater place than even this world. And so we thank you, Father. And we thank you for this remembrance. So that we never forget this new covenant that you made for each one of us in Jesus' name.